And now, a special presentation of Faith Fit Radio with your host, Glenda Meekins. Welcome to Faith Fit Radio. I'm Glenda Meekins, a writer for the Florida Catholic and the Diocese of Orlando Communications Office. Joining me today is international speaker and missionary Robert Rogers. Mr. Rogers is a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. He's the youngest of eight children, born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. He studied electrical engineering and piano music in college and now resides in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where he is a brother knight, a Eucharistic minister, and an active member of St. Vincent de Paul Catholic Parish. An accomplished worship leader, pianist, songwriter, and author of three books, Into the Deep, Seven Steps to No Regrets, and Rise Above, Robert teaches others to live a life of no regrets with his inspiring words and original songs at the piano. He has a compelling life story that he will share with us today, and he prays that this will indelibly impact your life and draw you passionately closer to Christ. Mr. Rogers, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. You're welcome. So, tell me a little bit about your life and family prior to August of 2003. Well, I love family. As you mentioned, I'm the youngest of eight. It's always been my dream to have so many children we can barely squeeze into the family picture. <laughs> and I love this overflowing Thanksgiving time, Christmas time. Uh, music has always been a big part of my family. My grandparents were professional musicians in Boston and in the Cincinnati oh. area. And uh, when my grandmother passed away, uh, she bequeathed her piano to me. And I began practicing at young age of eight or ten or so and studied at the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music and as a youngster. And I went on to study in high school and college as well. But growing up, we'd all go to church together. All ten of us would fill a whole pew at <laughs> Our Lady of Lords uh, Catholic grade school and church. We all went through parochial grade school and high school. I was an altar server as a boy. And I went to uh, Jesuit high school there, St. Xavier. And I loved going to church together. And I called God Lord many, many times. Mm. But for me, I hadn't yet made him Lord. And mm. there was a big difference. And that can be a great a blessing and challenge of our faith that a lot of times yes. uh, so many come become complacent and complicit and just walk through and march through marking time and fulfilling obligations rather than loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I guess I was thirsty and hungry for meat of the Word of God. And it just began a journey as a teenager that brought me in a place that was ultimately to my knees in a point of complete surrender with reckless abandonment. And I said, Lord, I, I think I finally get it. You want my heart. Hmm. You want all of me. Lord, I want all of you. I give you my life. And it was just a declaration, a moment of complete surrender, that you are Lord over everything I have, and I give you my life. Basically, the song, Here I Am, Lord, <laughs> is it I, Lord. I'll go where you want. And it wasn't a big lightning bolt moment or anything, but it was as if my faith came alive. I had a great skeleton of faith, I call it up to that point, like a but foundation. It, right, yeah. indeed, but not a lot of uh, flesh or muscle on those bones yet. And I started uh, reading the Word of God regularly, daily, and even memorizing it. Uh, there were many around us that challenged me and some of my siblings, and even a great priest in Cincinnati area named Father Al Lauer <laughs> with Presentation Ministries. And he's yes. deceased, but his ministry goes on, One Bread, One Body devotional, which I read this morning. And he just had a great love for the Word of God, and uh, his devotions are just laced and embedded with scripture. And so I look them all up and I just devour it like a bowl of cereal with a spoon and just get into <laughs> it. And so to this day, I'm still memorizing scripture. And that's what I really attribute to bringing my faith alive because 
the book of the, the book of Hebrews in the Bible says that this book is alive. It's full of living power. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts all the way through to where soul and spirit meet. And Jesus even said, my words are spirit and life. And so I encourage anyone who feels as though their faith is dormant, who maybe feels asleep in the faith, or maybe whose marriage or family uh, is dormant and not full of life, to get into the Word of God mm. because it will breathe life into your soul, into your faith, to your marriage, to your family. Fall in love with Jesus and His Word, and your family will fall in love with you, I believe. Mm. And uh, so that really sparked my faith deeper, and suddenly everything made sense. Everything clicked. <laughs> right. It all the sacrifice and of the Mass and just giving ourselves up and receiving Jesus in the Eucharist and being one with Him through the Eucharist and His Word, it just all made sense. And that so, profound encounter. Indeed, right. It was like a spiritual awakening. And uh, we often can have moments of that. In fact, Pope St. John Paul the Great said that evangelization is not a matter of merely passing on doctrine, but of a personal and profound meeting with the Savior. Mm. And that was my personal meeting with him, where it finally just clicked. And I said, Jesus, I want you. And St. Jerome said, uh, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. That's right. That's part of our catechism. And he translated for 30 years the Scripture. So he was (laughs) deeply embedded, obviously, in the Word of God. And if you don't know Scripture, how can you know Jesus? And... Go ahead. So you had this awakening. Did this? Um, did you end up doing ministry when you were younger? How did that translate into your daily life? Uh, obviously, right. increased daily prayer, and you you began to foster that relationship because it is something that we need to to nourish and foster as well. What ministry, or were you in ministry when you were younger? Not full time ministry. My mother would at that time drag a lot of us to nursing homes <laughs> and mm. we'd bring our instruments that and like, is ministry it is and i didn't realize that at the time but my older brothers would bring their trumpets and uh thank god some of the residents had difficulty hearing because they blared the <laughs> trumpets loud and clear but it was marvelous because we learned to serve and mm. uh, we learned those and i still like going to uh, retirement homes and such now to give the gift of music and so i was learning that and my mother was also involved in special olympics and so she had put one on in northern Kentucky. And so I learned about being around those with special needs yes. and with autism and, and Down syndrome and so forth. And it just gave it tenderized my heart uh, to those less fortunate in some way. And I just felt drawn uh, to that as a ministry, not full-time or anything, but just drawn. And so God was planting seeds. But I had studied music in college for a couple of years in Indiana. And even though I love music, I also like to eat from time to time. And so <laughs> it can be tough to make a living that way. So I transferred back to Cincinnati at university there and uh, studied electrical engineering for five years. It's a five-year program. And part of that curriculum brings you all the way to a place uh, to co-op as an intern. And for me, that was Boston, Massachusetts area. Okay. Where I worked during the day at a high-tech You like company. cold places. <laughs> I don't mind them. <laughs> I love the seasons. And... Uh, our family genesis is in Boston. Uh, my father was born there, and his family was from there. So I was—I had always wanted to see it, and um, I found a part-time gig on the evenings and weekends in downtown Boston at a sidewalk cafe uh, near Faneuil Hall and Quincy Market area. And I just started playing piano there occasionally, just on call when they needed me. And lo and behold, this beautiful blonde from Kansas named Melissa. <laughs> plopped down on the bench next to me. We just started talking. Now, this was very foreign for me because I'm a shy person. I'm a reserved introvert. I didn't date a whole lot. I didn't know what to say. 
I was shaking in my boots just trying to keep my fingers on the right <laughs> notes. <laughs> but, but we just seemed to hit it off. And the, the words just started flowing, and we started laughing together. And it just seemed like a divine appointment, truly, to get a city slicker from me and a country girl from Kansas in the middle of downtown Boston. <laughs> <laughs> but the Bible says in Matthew 6.33, and we probably all know the song, Seek ye first the kingdom yes. of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He'll provide everything that you need. And I believe that was divine appointment because I wasn't seeking a spouse or a date or whatever it was. and I was seeking God. And uh, I truly believe that was from him. And so we fell in love over an ice cream sundae. And I proposed <laughs> to her back in Cincinnati on a romantic riverboat cruise on New Year's Eve. Oh, wow. And we married one year later on New Year's Eve at St. Lawrence Catholic Church there in Cincinnati. And uh, she said, I do. And I was just uh, amazed that she would say <laughs> I do to me. And I gave my life to her. And we, I finally graduated. We married and moved to California with my one job offer yeah. in Silicon Valley. And uh, we always wanted a big family. And God blessed us with children, but none ever came easily. And mm. our first we named uh, McKenna. And she was over two weeks late. Took over two long days of tough labor mm. and delivery to get here, followed by a C-section. Because she was over 9 pounds, 11 ounces, 22 oh inches long, goodness. and upside down. Wow. And that was a big struggle and trial for us at the time. I'm sure. It was, in a way, a brush with death because it was, it was uh, very challenging. And you don't know what's happening. We had a midwife at first, and then we wound up going to the hospital. And... Mm -hmm. You just think, God, what's going on? Why doesn't this go smoothly like we had prayed and hoped? But life doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And you learn to exercise your faith. And uh, so we were just thrilled to receive our daughter into our arms. So you had, um, after that, you had, well, you had two more children, right? And then you adopted uh, a daughter. Tell us a little bit about your, your other children. Right. Well, we had uh, two miscarriages along the way, and those were all devastating mm -hmm. and stories of their own. But they really stretched our faith. And one of our children was named Zachary, and he was born with Down syndrome. And so that seed that God had planted early on with special, special needs. Special Olympics, yes. Right, and Special Olympics was tenderizing my heart and preparing me. And I believe the verse in Ephesians 3 that says, uh, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That means that our son Zachary wasn't a mistake. That Down syndrome isn't didn't take God by surprise. He didn't say, Oops, how'd that happen? Hmm. No, this is... God's gift to us, and we embraced him and everything that that entailed, meaning all the therapy and hospital visits and everything and a lot of challenges, autism, teach him, teaching him sign language to communicate, mm. but a lot of blessings. And then we gave birth to a beautiful son named Nicholas, another nine-pound, another tough labor and delivery and C-section and so forth, but a big blessing. And after our second miscarriage, we just uh, kind of threw up our hands and said, Lord, what is it you want us to do? And we were just led down the path of adoption. And that led us to China, of all places, and a special needs orphan. And so we traveled there in January of 2003 and adopted a beautiful girl named Alina. Oh. And boy, when you adopt, uh, it really gives you a deep uh, insight into the father heart of God because we're all orphans because of sin. Mm. Uh, but when we become his child, then we are adopted into adopted his family. Adopted children of God exactly. through baptism. That's absolutely. scripture. Exactly right. And so uh, more verses of scripture just came alive to me, and Alina just became part of our family right from the start, and our other children embraced her. Mm -hmm. And so there we were, struggles like any other family, but just living the American dream of a big family, two boys, two girls, two with special needs, a lot of challenges, mm -hmm. but a lot of blessings. And in the summer of 2003, we intentionally pulled back from a lot of extracurriculars just so we could focus on our family time. 
And so we just had popsicles on the front porch. We went camping. We blew up the inflatable pool in the backyard <laughs> and just had fun as a family. And Melissa said, I've had the best time this summer that I've ever had. That's and uh, it was just such a blessed time to savor that moment with our family. And I encourage everyone, especially now with portable offices on <laughs> smart devices that we carry around with us, to turn those things off, to make memories with your children and your families. Because you can always make more money. There's always more messages. But you can't always make more memories. Yeah. You'd be present to this moment. That's right. So that's the summer of 2003. And then in August, Labor Day weekend, um, you all go to a wedding in Wichita, Kansas. Right. And, um, and that weekend changed your life. Tell us a little bit about that return trip. Right. It was a very dry summer. We were all praying for rain. And I believe it was the Hurricane Isabella storm system that just parked over the Midwest on Labor Day weekend and dumped an inordinate amount of rain at one time. Mm -hmm. And we had had fun at the wedding and reception and even went out for ice cream afterwards, true to form. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, had fun with uh, Melissa's brother and his wife and their four children. But it was getting late. It was around 8 o'clock or so, and it was dark and still pouring down rain. We had a three-hour drive home oh to boy. the Kansas City area. So Melissa insisted. She said, I want to drive first so you can rest, and then you drive the rest of the way. And I said, okay. So we gassed up and headed out. And the rain was just pounding off the surface of the Kansas Turnpike. But we were following the other cars and kind of staying in our tracks, going slowly, and just staying with the flow of traffic. And unbeknownst to us, a flash flood had formed across the Kansas Turnpike. Mm. And we didn't know we were... It was there until we were in it. And within minutes, it was already up to our bumper. And our it stalled our minivan because we were behind a semi, which had kind of blocked us in. We couldn't go around it. And even ankle-high rushing water can knock you over. Mm. And so as the water was rushing, we thought, what do we do? And this is all a matter of minutes. With four children, how could we hold them all on each arm and even get out of here on foot? And our children actually were asleep at first. and as we stopped and the water started filling our minivan, it touched their toes and they awoke and they were crying and, of course, very unsettled. And we resorted to the things that we know. I, I have to say, I, you know, seeing this interview, tell me a little bit about that. You began singing. I, I just was astounded. Tell me a little bit about that and what you sang and, and how this even came to you. Right. Well, as a pianist and musician, and music such a vital fabric of our family, I wrote songs and lullabies for our children, a special song for Zachary through his Down syndrome, and mm. would sing to them at night. I even recorded some piano instrumental pieces that they would play on a tape player at night to lull them to sleep. And so it was very comforting. Beautiful. And uh, we love songs of worship and praise. And so I thought, well, let's just calm them down because the waters are here and slowly rising but it can't get a whole lot worse and it's going to go down by the grace of God and, and we were trapped and so let's just sing and so we started singing the song Lord I lift your name on high Lord I love to sing your praises I'm so glad you saved I'm so glad you came to save us and that was a very profound even part of that song that God came mm -hmm. to save us and yet the Bible says in Ephesians that his ways are far above our ways mm -hmm. as high as the heavens are above the earth his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we had praise on our lips. And then also the words of Scripture from Psalm 46 came to my lips. That God is my strength. God is my refuge and ever-present help in time of trouble. 
We will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall to the heart of the sea. And though the waters roar and the mountains quake, the Lord our God is with us. He is our mm-hmm. fortress. Much like the song that I sang since childhood, Be Not Afraid, I go before you always. And he was there. Though you pass through raging waters in the sea, you shall not drown. And so we trusted he was with us and he was going to see us through this somehow. The waters will go down, we'll dry off, we'll get our car towed. No problem. As long as we're still alive, okay, everything's good. Mm. So we had prayer, we had praise, we had scripture, and then the name of Jesus on our lips. Mm. Uh, Melissa was crying out, Jesus, save us. Jesus, save us. Because it, the water kept rising and it got up to the concrete medium, which was oh, about thir- three feet or so high. We thought, well, at least we're braced here and the water's overflowing it kind of like a waterfall. But at least we're secure. There's no mm. way we can traverse this on foot because to lose one child out of your arms, I can't, even, can't even fathom the it. horror. Exactly. And, and I know in the midst of this as well, um, M- Melissa called, right? At some point she called someone from your church asking to pray as well. So you had right. others praying for you as well. Absolutely. The lady named Debbie who had taught us so much sign language for our son, Zachary. She came mm-hmm. to our home weekly and she was a good friend. She said, call the prayer line, please have everyone pray. And uh, cell phones were a lot more primitive then, not as much speed mm-hmm. dial features and so forth. And we had... Uh, uh, Melissa's brother had tried to call us because they went through the same area two minutes before we oh did my gosh. and experienced somewhat similar, although the water was lower. And uh, Melissa's brother, Matt's wife, said, do we keep going? He said, sweet, we got to go. We got to drive through this or we'll be. And so they tried to call us. They didn't get our number in time. But <sighs> you sometimes look, like two minutes difference. Had we not got out for ice cream? Had we not yeah. gassed up when we did? And all you have to say is God is sovereign. And either we trust mm-hmm. him or we don't. Even through the difficult moments of life, we believe, have to believe that he is there. And so just when we thought it couldn't get any worse, it got worse than anybody could have imagined when the, they say a seven-foot wall of water came crashing across the freeway and devoured everything in his path over 200 feet wide or so. It took some 200 feet of that heavy concrete median. I'm told over 100,000 pounds of concrete. I mean, just washed away like splinters. Took our minivan and about six or so other vehicles and just plunged us into this deluge, literally into the deep. And in that last-ditch effort to try to just get our family out now, Mm. I kicked out the window. And it was much like the outside pressure popping a balloon and it forced everything inside our Mm. car out that wasn't tied down, including me, my wife Melissa, our oldest daughter McKenna was up by us. She was out of her seatbelt at the Mm. time. And I started... I was in the water tumbling like a rag doll in a washing machine. It was surreal, just like a, we were just at a wedding. We were just having cake. We just went out for ice cream. This is someone else's life. This yeah, is like a movie. Something's wrong with this picture. Yeah. Yes. And I was ingesting the floodwaters. I couldn't see. I couldn't breathe. But Glenda, even at that moment of near death, it f- I felt the peace of God. Hmm. And those listening who have had a near-death experience can probably relate that God is there at that moment when you're right across, right near the threshold, that there's a thin veil that separates this world from the next. And I believe God was there. Uh, now my bed, my head washed above the waters and I could make out treetops whizzing by and I tried to just grab whatever I could to no avail. Somehow I was washed onto the left-hand shore. And I have no idea. This is normally a tiny little creek, but now it's a raging rapids. Mm. And I just felt my stomach tighten and I threw up everything that I had ingested and I just cried out to God and cried out for my family. 
Where are they? Where are you? God, save us. Please, Lord. And I could make out flashing lights back on the freeway, and I tried to stand, but my legs were like jello. I was in shock. Uh, it was extremely traumatic, and I p- tried the best I could to get back to the freeway to go for help because I knew we yeah. needed, I needed help to search for my family. I did everything I could there at the moment, but it was like being next to Niagara Falls. It was just deafening in the noise and overwhelming in the uh, force and the magnitude of the water. And there was just no sign of them. So I made my way back and I had to scale a barbed wire fence and climb up a 30-foot embankment and finally found a police officer. And I said, my wife and four children, they're down there. They're down there. you got to help us. And so he put me in an ambulance and they started search and rescue. And I just remember the the equipment in that ambulance, taking my blood pressure and checking my oxygen saturation Mm. and so forth. And just the sound of that equipment was so stark and barren. I just felt like it was just me alone with God at my side and nobody else. And I just was praying those doors would swing open and there would be my wife and four Mm. children, daddy, like they used to say when I would come home from work and greet me at the garage door. But that never happened. And I was there for about three hours until they, it was finally clear for them to, to go through that flooded area and take me to a nearby hospital in Emporia, Kansas. So you went to the hospital, and it was three days before all of your family members were found, correct? Your, your children first, and then Melissa on that third day. Right. Um, you know, I, I listened to an interview where you said, my faith was intact, but my soul was crying out. Hmm. Um, our path doesn't take away the pain, but it gets us through it. How on hmm. earth did you get through it? I mean, clearly you have an incredible faith that, that is just a grace that you've been given and that you've nurtured. But how, how did you get through it? How did you even begin? By the sheer grace of Almighty God. And really, again, going back to the prayers of Scripture, where St. Paul says, Lord, that I might know you more and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering, becoming like you in your death. And I felt like that. I suddenly felt that I could share in the sufferings of Christ and offering up that excruciating pain. Mm. When he had first come to my room and said, we found your minivan, which was a mile and a half from the freeway upside oh. down. And our three youngest children were still in their car seats. And they said, we need to ask you, Robert, to identify their bodies. <sighs> That's every parent's worst nightmare. Yes. And all my blood went to my toes. And I was just reeling in pain. My heart was hemorrhaging. I guess to answer your question is how I began coping was by surrendering. As I identified each of my family members, I put my hand on each of their chests. They're in the ER at the hospital in Emporia, Kansas. And I raised my other hand up to heaven. I just said, Lord, into your hands I commend their spirits. Because I knew they didn't belong to me. They belonged to him. Mm. And those are the words of Jesus on the cross, exemplifying his lifetime of surrender. And so I thank God that Somehow he had begun developing the faith in me to be able to endure through that circumstance. I've heard it said Jesus didn't suffer so we wouldn't have to. He suffered so we would know how to Mm. and how to carry our cross. I I truly believe he won't allow us to endure something if he won't also equip us and enable us to overcome it. Absolutely. And so we have to tap into that faith, much like Noah built in the ark one day at a Mm. time. 
he fortified the faith of the ark as it were and we have to fortify the ark of our faith so when the storms come it's ready and thank god we were actively doing that through prayer and through going to church together and through memorizing scripture and so forth and uh, i just couldn't be here today if it weren't for my faith but i thank god that he gave me the grace to endure the loss of the first when i found our three children and i found mckenna uh, just a short distance from a minivan and like you said it took three days mm. and melissa was found two miles in the freeway in this retention pond but That's i went incredible. to uh counseling for three years and i highly recommend that to anyone who suffered loss because it's much like peeling back the layers of an onion that there's many layers and each layer brings forth tears and it hurts but it helps to heal and tears can help cleanse and wash away Absolutely. little specks of grief at a time. And so I really embraced the pain, much as Jesus embraced the cross. I mean, I slept in our children's beds and I curled up in a fetal position. I cried myself to sleep many mm. nights and uh, lived in our home for nearly three years alone. It took a long time to go through all their belongings and artwork on the refrigerator and the little toys in the bathroom and mm. toys in the backyard and so forth. But all those elements were necessary to not deny it, to not. Yes to pretend it didn't happen, but to embrace the suffering as Jesus did. I think as we do that, then he can replace that with peace, with joy. Psalm 71 says, you've allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. Just as God the Father did with the Son, Jesus Christ, when he lives within us through the Holy Spirit, he can do that within us. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for anyone. Well, and you look at the book of Revelation, we know this is not the end. We know that God is triumphant, right? right. Um, so you leave engineering, right? You go back, and it, it just isn't the same. And you end up going into ministry, establishing Mighty in the Land ministry. When did that, when did you feel the calling to that, and um, and what compelled you to do it? What What is the mission? Uh, God did it. I didn't plan any of this. Remember, I'm the reserved introvert, and so I didn't <laughs> want to be behind a microphone in front of people or even here on the radio. I mean, mm -hmm. this was always my least comfortable spot. And so this was God's idea, and I <laughs> truly believe this is his doing because I, I did try to go back to engineering. I took uh, just a little time initially just to try to sort things out. And as an engineer, you try to figure things out, mm -hmm. would have, should have, could have. And I remember my previous boss said, Robert, don't beat yourself up over would have, should have, could have. And that really does lend itself to the sovereignty of God, that either we trust him or we don't. And uh, I went on a train trip around the country and revisited places in California and Boston and so forth where we had lived just to mm -hmm. retrace my steps. And that helped clear my mind and at least get some spiritual focus. But after I came back, people started inviting me to come to their church, their Sunday school, their pancake breakfast, mm -hmm. their grade school, their high school, and just say, how in the world could you keep your faith after something like that? And so I just said, sure, I guess I could share a little bit. And I brought these little foam core poster boards that we had had at my family's funeral and just held them up and just started telling their story. Hmm. And lo and behold, people's lives seemed to be changed afterwards. They said, man, that's deeply impacted me. And now I know how I'm going to make this next decision regarding my family or hmm. my job. There were people who said, now we're going to adopt a child. Or we've yeah. decided not to contracept and to have more children. Or I know what job offer I'm going to take because I don't want to have regrets. And that was a big statement I said uh, when the police had asked me to give a press conference 
I said, I said, first of all, I said, God is God and I am not. Hmm. And I also said, I have no regrets. Not because of perfect life at all, but because we lived a purposeful life. That I had told my family members each that I loved in that day. I'd hug them. Our hearts were clear. Thanks be to God. Mm. I mean, we were ready. And so that first year after the flood, I think it's upwards of 110 places or people invited me to come and to share. Wow. I said, okay, Lord, I guess this is what you want God me to do. God was calling. Right. And mm. so I enlisted some good counsel as a board of directors because I wanted to just remain accountable and have good direction. And uh, within a year, we established it as an official 501c3 not-for-profit ministry. And I called it Mighty in the Land Ministry. I didn't call it Robert Rogers Ministry or anything. I didn't <laughs> want to be about me. My name doesn't matter, but Jesus' name matters and his word. And so Mighty in the Land comes from his word, from Psalm 112. that says his children will be mighty in the land. I just felt that their lives, their testimony, as it were, their witness would mm. be a mighty testimony to God. Their lives, absolutely. Right. And as a challenge to all of us to be mighty ambassadors of Christ. You know, it's not even so much what we call ourselves, but what does God call us? You know, we're called to be Jesus to the world. Does God call us his follower? How does he see us? Christ to one another. That's right. Mm. And we walk around with Jesus with skin on. And so that was the genesis of this ministry. And now it's been... Some 14 and a half years, and best I can track, I've been invited and shared over 1,100 times Incredible. to over 270-some thousand Praise people. God. And that's just, if you do the math, it's maybe one or 200 people at a time. These aren't big arenas or anything, but just simple settings, oftentimes in a little tiny farm town, Iowa or Nebraska. <laughs> and I get there and I think, Lord, how in the world did I wind up here? And lo and behold, the Holy Spirit shows up and there might be one person who's touched and forever changed and you can just see tears rolling down makes all the difference that's right and i say lord here i am i'll go if it's for the one lost sheep it's worth it hmm. so that's why i go you know preparing for this interview hmm. um i ended up reading the book of job because i hmm. thought so much about that correlation of um, job having everything then losing everything right um and you talked a little bit about you know questioning God and getting past that and just surrendering it and retracing your steps. Um, but Job, God restores Job. And, right. and so, um, you know, he multiplied his graces. And on your website, you talk about God as a God of restoration. Mm. Um, tell me a little bit about how you restored your life and mm. how things went on after that. Right. It's an amazing story of restoration. And none of this I ever foresaw or planned or orchestrated. There's no way anybody could. I was just going, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> God is merciful. He doesn't That's let right. us see ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much so. Uh, we oftentimes ask why, Lord, why mm. this and why that? And I think, uh, number one, we couldn't handle it if God told us yeah. why. And number two, uh, it's just best we not know this side of heaven. Mm. He is, he's up to something good, and we just have to trust his hand even when we don't understand and so I was just trying to fumble through and find my way through the grieving process, through going through our belongings, through ministering full-time now. It was my full-time doing that. Mm. And on top of that, not charging anything, but just allowing God to be faithful. And he always to provides. through you. That's right. And so I wasn't, I just felt blessed that I had been in love once and that I had been a father for eight years and a husband for 11 years. Mm. And by the way, that's one of the best antidotes I found to adversity is gratitude, mm. to give thanks to God. And that's all through the Psalms, all through Scripture. Be thankful in all things, Ephesians chapter 5. And that just gets our eyes off of 
being self-pitiful and mm-hmm. eyes off the inside and lifts them up to God and lifts them up to others and to minister to others, it helps to heal the wounds inside. Prayer of St. Francis, it's the more blessed you know, giving that we receive. We reap what we sow. And so I missed all this. I was ministering in the Fort Wayne area, Indiana, and a few friends had introduced me to someone, and uh, her name is Inga. And we had, uh, she was even eating a bowl of ice cream <laughs> when I first saw her. So that should have tipped me off, but I'm a guy, and so I'm a little Deja vu. <laughs> right. But I'm a little slow as, as a guy, and I just catch on kind of slowly. But I also wasn't looking, and so uh, it just it didn't dawn on me at the time. But she was, when I first gave her a hug, she said, Robert, it felt like you were hugging my heart. Hmm. Uh, and and she had seen me on the news when uh, Diane Sawyer of Good Morning America interviewed me and others. And she just prayed, you know, Lord, your will be done. And he did. And so somehow we fell in love. <laughs> and I was very slow because I didn't want to marry anyone to take the place of Melissa. Hmm. No one can. Once you lose someone, no one can replace that person. A spouse, a child, no matter what. And I didn't want to get married for poor old Robert or just, you know, for, for my reasons, sake. Yeah. I wanted to marry this woman because she's a woman and she had maintained her purity. And I want to honor that. And thank God I kept my purity since the flood. And I didn't delve into, I've never done drugs my whole life. I've never smoked, but didn't go any promiscuity mm-hmm. or internet garbage. And that's not to brag on me. That's to brag on God. Mm-hmm. I tried to make good choices, but, you know, that's impossible, humanly speaking. Yes. But with God, all things are possible. And so thank God that I did maintain my purity. And uh, lo and behold, we fell in love, and we married in May of 2006. And so it was a joyous wedding. After the wedding, we had about 150 balloons. (laughs) You should have seen my (laughs) wife's mother and some relatives try to get those balloons to the wedding and reception. It was a beautiful, sunny day, and we released them into the blue sky. Uh, My balloon said, with God, all things are possible. Hmm. And just as a testimony to my heavenly family, uh, because at the cemetery after the funeral i released balloons to them and so there was a big connection to them but lo and behold god bless us with a son named ezekiel we gave birth in uh, july of 2007 and then a year later in december of 2008 he blessed us with a daughter named estella Hmm. and the following year we had a horrific miscarriage we didn't even realize Hmm. that inga was pregnant but it turned out she was five months along. It was very mm. odd. None of the telltale signs, but she just started bleeding profusely. Mm. Baby was about five inches long, and five inches long, and we we held him in our hands, ah. and it was just devastating. I thought, Lord, not again. I don't want to have to bury another child. Mm. But now Inga experienced death of a child, and it was we we share that bond now. We had to mm. bury him, and uh, boy, as believing as believers in life from conception. To yes. see a life from your wife's womb, uh, five months in development, and all the detail, the intricate detail of God Almighty is just so humbling. Mm. And so God healed and God blessed again. And we gave birth to Leo in 2010, in August. And would you believe another time? We gave birth <laughs> to a beautiful girl named Lola Elizabeth. And she's every bit as spicy <laughs> in 2012. And so now our children are ages 10, 9, 7, and 5. And we home educate them. We have a very loud and active household. (laughs) But I am just blessed beyond measure because no one could have planned or arranged any of this. Mm. We've been married 11 years now. uh, And that's how long Melissa and I were married, by the way. Uh, And now we have two boys and two girls, girls. much like I had before. 
And uh, how is that possible? But by the grace of Almighty God. God is mighty in the land. That's right. <laughs> Indeed. Well, thank you so much for sharing your testimony. I know that um, you'll be speaking at Holy Family this evening at 6.30 and sharing your praise and worship ministry a little bit before. Yes. And, um, you know, you're an accomplished musician. You've written uh, several pieces, and one of those um, is where you asked your eldest daughter, um, it's called Heaven, What is Heaven Like? Is yes. that correct? Yes. And, um, and you asked McKenna to teach you what heaven is like. Hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about the writing of music was this healing for you i mean obviously these songs are very mm. close to your heart they're life mm. experiences how did music help heal you oh it's so cathartic uh, god knew what he was doing when he created music we need it and the psalms say sing a new song unto the lord and david worshiped with music i just think it's so healing and uh, i've spent many times at the piano alone before I remarried, just with the Bible open to the book of Psalms and just weeping over mm. the pages. I still have pages that are crinkly from my tears, <laughs> no doubt. And and I, it's one thing to journal, and that's very important. And another thing to then form that into, say, a poem where there's rhyme and, and a meter and rhythm and so forth. But then to attach melody and harmony and chords to it and create a song. It's so powerful to encompass your emotions, and it helps to get it from the inside out. to the outside right and you can put it on a shelf and let it rest for a bit and then take it back out when you need to revisit that and that was so healing in fact even there in the hospital in Emporia Kansas uh, when they were still looking for all my family members one of the kind nurses had brought a little keyboard from home a little Casio or something I just said I need music I need something and so she brought a keyboard to the room there and remember this was three days until they found Melissa and so mm. I just rested my hands on the keys and just played whatever came and this simple little song called behold my family just a stark instrumental came and it just captures the emotion of emptiness but also with a few glimmers of hope there at the end and so i thank god that that's there to help me never forget that moment and maybe help others who have faced the death of a loved one and turn somehow god can turn our misery into a ministry if we allow him to he's done that through mighty in the land and as well, also through this foundation that I began after a missionary trip to India after the tsunami, when hundreds of thousands died in turbulent floodwaters, much like my family. And so that just inspired me to establish some kind of living legacy to their memory. And I just mm. thought, how about five orphanages on five continents? And God, if it's of you. <laughs> how about it? <laughs> right. You can do it. I mean, you can do anything. You're God. You can. So lo and behold, we uh, dedicated our first one in Russia in 2006. In fact, uh, Inga was there with me when we dedicated mm -hmm. the Melissa home. How powerful. And since then, we've dedicated ones in Rwanda, Africa, and in India, uh, Uganda, another Uganda, in Haiti, and recently through the missionaries of the poor in Kingston, Jamaica, mm -hmm. uh, and also in downtown Beijing, China for Alina's homes. We have eight homes now we've sponsored. Uh, over all 400 after your family yes indeed Beautiful thanks be to legacy. god it's all it's all god and so i'm just honored to help a few at a time as best we can mm. um another song you wrote is until then tell me a little mm. bit about this song what is that it's a beautiful instrumental mm. tell me i love that, that piece uh, it's just it it's sort of when time stops when you're at a surreal moment 
and you just feel as though you see all of the past and maybe all of eternity right before you. It's almost being on the threshold with one foot in heaven and one foot here. And I just envisioned this moment of when uh, I do get to heaven and I see them and suddenly it all makes sense. I heard someone say the first sound we'll hear in heaven is, ah, oh, okay, <laughs> now it makes sense. This is why that happened. So this could happen. It, it, it'll all Clarity. be clear. In Corinthians, what, 13th chapter, it says, right now we see things unclearly as though through a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. It'll all make sense then. And so this song is just about the anticipation of that time. And until then, I'm going to be here and do God's work. But I look forward to that time. It reminds me of the time that we came home from China with Alina in our arms. And I have a brief video of that that I often share of us just embracing each other. Mm. And uh, that's a great picture of the reunion of family. And now I'll have a whole other family with me too, a reunion sure. with my heavenly family. So God multiplies love. You know, we don't, it doesn't been diminish it, but we can, mul- we can love more and our hearts can grow if we allow him to, uh, to stretch our faith and to trust him more. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Rogers, for sharing your story with us today. You're welcome. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me. We close this podcast with Robert Rogers playing Until Then. This is Glenda Meekins. Thank you for listening. Thank you.